We want when people come here, this to be an overwhelming sense of home. Because biblical Christianity at its core is relational. If you are going to lead, you have to first be, you have to first be led. All right, well, welcome to Lead Talks with the Craigs. I'm Chad Craig, and this is Craig Mossgrove. And today we're doing something a little different. Uh, I'm going to be able to ask Pastor Craig some questions. And we've been in here in season two. In this episode, we're going to hear part of Pastor Craig's story as he talks about one of the greatest giants he's had to deal with in following Jesus. And so in last episode, he got to ask me some questions. He looked at the greatest giant I have faced in following Jesus, the giant of delusion. Mm. And uh, today, Pastor Craig's going to share some of his backstory, and we appreciate him uh, sharing and opening up with us. And if you're new, man, we got season one, many other episodes in seasons two. We've looked at the giant of conformity and giant yeah. of fear and giant of religion and o- overwhelming odds, many things. So, uh, But today, we want to hear from Pastor Craig's story. And um, I want to ask you first, Pastor Craig, what is the greatest giant in your journey of following Jesus that you faced? Absolutely, absolutely. So um, just a little bit of backstory. I I did not grow up in Christ, right? Did not grow up in the church. Okay. Uh No background in terms of... Um, and you're I mean, in Tennessean? Tennessee, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Tennessee. So okay. grew up grew up around parents who had known the faith and known Jesus in their younger years, but had not served him, and so then did not serve him as parents. I got you. Um, so one of two siblings, and so grew up in a household where I was super conscientious. So even though I started making really terrible decisions in middle school, uh, specifically via one friendship that, uh, of a, uh, a friend that came into my life in, in uh, eighth grade. Uh-huh. Um, but I started making disastrous decisions, but I, I was so conscientious, I was able to make decisions while at the same time being very successful. Gotcha. Um, so which leads to internal uh, misery, because probably the most miserable person on the planet is the person who's experiencing public success but private failure right it's a whole lot less miserable to be experiencing such a dichotomy private failure and public failure but when you're publicly a success and privately a mess it's a disorienting right it's just misery and so i was living in some sense that way and so um having come to christ at at 16 so i met christ at 16 the lord uh, rescued me saved me february 10th 2002 got saved in chattanooga tennessee just a total remarkable really remarkable experience um where i met jesus got born again uh but from then there was able to lead my entire family lineage really to christ in three months praise god yeah, yeah. In, insane right it's a story and so in some sense i always tell people that god answered more prayers in those first three months than probably did in the next three years and uh and so that kind of set me up maybe for a little bit of disillusionment but he was so faithful and and it was just a, a remarkable time and so from there uh, kind of like your story, I went head over heels in love with Jesus and right. growing in, in Jesus. And so I had already sowed my wild oats. I didn't have a season of just fruitlessness ever really in my Christian mm-hmm. journey because, again, that was all previous right. to knowing Jesus. And so I just took off after the Lord. Now I needed a lot of growth, a lot of transformation, a lot of healing. Um, but I was I was just, you know, just took off. And so um, because of that, I was always within the context of my home. I was always seen as the stable one, okay. and so even within the relationship, my mom and sister, there's a lot of all kinds of tension there. Previous to to coming to me, coming to know Jesus, and them coming to know Jesus, 
And so I was always viewed by my parents as being the child who's got it together. Okay. When you're the child who's got it together for long enough. Better keep it together, huh? Yeah, not only keep it together, but then you become the kid who's always never really able to talk about their issues. Right. Because, the, yeah, the exception is, or the expectation is that they're not actually dealing with anything. Right. And then you just stuff it. You don't deal with it because you're dealing with somebody else's dysfunction. And so you. in some sense, I had that dichotomy mm-hmm. dynamic in my family. Um, and then when I'm coming to Jesus, I was being transformed, and the Lord had to do a real substantial work as it related to uh, just sexual dysfunction uh, from exposure to pornography, so so on and so forth, and then all the lust of my teenage years. Now, when you were growing up, age-wise, like uh, when I was growing up, the only pornography basic access was like hard copy oh, yeah. magazines. But, yeah, so I but use is that story te- a lot. Technology days. No, now? no. So I tell people a lot. So my first is your pre-iPhone, all of that. Oh yeah, yeah. iPhones oh seven. So this would have been uh, this would have been ninety seven or ninety eight. See, they're dealing with a whole another level of giants today, aren't they? Of course, yeah. So that's why I tell people. Thank God that I had to actually have physical Jeez. magazine because if my thumbs were able to access it any time, I mean, Couldn't that would imagine. lead to a life lifetime of addiction, right? And so, yes, in that sense, um, I did a lot. There was a lot of tr- really substantial transformation that happened in those first years of following Jesus. Right. But then I felt the call to ministry two years after I got saved. And in feeling the call of ministry, yeah, there was a long crucible God led me through in terms of crucifying selfish desires and things like that. Um, but I never, ever in any of those seasons, both pre-Jesus, post-Jesus, felt any kind of emotional, mental instability. So that okay. was not a part of my experience. Felt strong. Strong all the time. Confident. All the time confident. Okay. Um, and in in fact, so much Not so much that, worry? No. No. So I was always the one to help people in worry. Okay. Right? So I was always the stable one to be able to speak to people's worry. And I gotcha. quite honestly, I tried to be empathetic to their worry or anxiety, Um but that only goes so far, right? Yeah. So I, I would say, okay. You had a level of understanding, but it didn't arrive out of, like, you ever being experientially in their shoes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So And so then what happened is years of following Jesus. Now I married my wife. We have one kid. We have two kids. Um, we've now moved multiple states. There's not been any, Chad, any kind of deep-seated anxiety about moving, about next season, about any of that. And, and and so I'd even actually used in my own language that I pride myself in some sense. And I, I wasn't saying arrogantly, but I pride myself in the sense that God's given me strong mind. Okay. And so I always said that. I mean, I just use that language. Um, and so uh, let me fast forward some years. Then we had our third child. We moved here and mm-hmm. planted the church in Woodstock, uh, replanted, relaunched. Yeah, so 2000. if you're new. Yeah. We co-pastor a church in Woodstock, Georgia, called Dwelling Place Church, and um, yep. And, and so, so that we moved, yeah. So absolutely, so we moved in 2015 to do that alongside you guys, and um, which has been a whoa, what a crazy emotional journey in church planning. But still, I had never personally come to a place of just uh, overwhelming sense of anxiety. And so in 2016, which is year two, mm-hmm. um, we have our we have our third and final child. Uh, Harper. It was yes. in November of 16. And a couple weeks later, it was December, like 30th of 16. Uh, my son, who was, uh, so what he'd been, he'd have been like uh, six years old at the time. I take him deer hunting over the break. Which has always been a part of like my life. your life. Yep. Yeah. It's yeah. something you love to do. Oh, I love it. Yes. You love sharing it with your 
child. Yep. And so I take him deer hunting December 30th, 2016. It may have been 29th, but right there. And he shoots a deer. We can't find it. Runs off the side of a cliff. Next day, which is December 31st, we go find the deer and we have to pull the deer. And so I began to try to pull the deer from a ravine. And this is like, this is no joke when people say like, you know, I'm I'm not kidding. It was probably 65 or 70 degrees. And even little deer are heavy deer in the woods. So I bend over (laughs) and start pulling it. Uh I can't get it up. So we're, we're, we're going to have to just leave it or pack it out. Right. Um, but I tore something in my back during that journey mm. and so that whole week i come back to georgia i was in tennessee i come back to georgia and my, my back is in severe pain but it's it's getting worse progressively okay the and pain the pain's getting worse and i can't sit up straight so on and so forth long lack story of mobility. short yeah lack of okay. mobility yeah and so from there uh, my wife long story short we were just joking about this recently asked me to put up the christmas tree on january 4th uh which is the week of this happening and so i lifted a christmas tree up a ladder on an injured, previously injured back into the attic. Well, that was like on a Friday, Friday afternoon. By Friday evening, I'm on my back in the house, and I and I could not move. And so it just progressively got worse. So it was not like bend over, you know, roll over to your side and shimmy. I could do nothing. Right? It wasn't. It was swelling so bad, and so I just tried to the whole weekend take. Um, and I don't I don't take any medication. Right. Start taking narcotics, and I didn't even I didn't have them prescribed. So I had a friend right. who was at the church. I said, "Dude, just bring some narcotics." Right. And so he brings. What well, he's talking about is is pain medicine. Yeah, pain medicine. Yeah. yeah, pain medicine. Yeah. So he brings his pain medication over. Needed more than Advil. Right. And um and that leads me to Sunday. And so on Sunday, I tried to get on a decompression table. Uh huh. Couldn't make it to church, but uh, later that day, tried to get on a decompression table. And so later that night, after having decompression, I was laying flat on the couch, and my wife was there. She's, you know, we got a, we got three kids. One of them just a few weeks old. She's postpart. You know, it's like craziness. And I felt my mouth get really, really dry. Uh-huh. And when it got dry, all of a sudden, these spasms hit in my back and started pulling my, mm. my vertebrae out of place. And when I say, I mean, I thought I was dying. I tried... For the sake of not exaggerating, I legit thought I was dying. I mean, it was, it was like, so Meredith looked at me, my eyes were rolling back in my head, and so all I could say was just 911, you know, just call 911. So he gets there, and he's like, I know what you're going through, those muscle spasms, you know, the EMT's trying to calm us down, but they give me Verset amnesia drugs, I mean, doing everything. And so long story short, Pastor Chad, I go into the hospital that week, and for a, for a five days, they keep me under. I have no recollection. Several weeks later, I tried to remember if I ate. I couldn't remember if I ate. And they and I'm not a I'm not used to hard drugs and they're giving me Valium every day, on every four hours intravenously. I don't wake up for a week, so when I come out of the hospital, I do try to come to church that next Sunday, which had been a week, and when I do, um, something's not right. I could tell my world that something's shaky, Mm -hmm. and so then it moves into the next day when anxiety comes out of nowhere and originally came because it was i think medically honestly induced right and i and my world is shaking so you know because i never experienced anything like this i'm thinking something's actually poisoned my body like like literally my vision is shaking coming off of those medications like it's literally shaking so i'm you like you think like you might be having a reaction a oh yeah reaction. yeah and so now i'm going into doctor mode because i love medicine and let's figure this out and i go to the doctor and this one and i'm doing physical therapy at the time but i can't bend over and touch my shoes and so anxiety explodes and so several days like you talked about your story last episode several days uh i just stayed up all night long not because i wanted to but i could not sleep mm. because it was so much adrenaline and um and so just praying and 
uh, I was it was just unbelievably disorienting of how scary that experience was because I couldn't get a grasp and handle on what was actually happening. Mm. Thankfully, I went to the doctor. But you were trying to analyze and figure it out the whole time. Yes, yes. But couldn't get clarity. Oh, no clarity, yeah. And so, so, you know, at that point, because, you know, you had injury to insult, anybody can deal with something for a few days, but then when the days add, now you're thinking this is a new reality. And back injuries, if you've ever had one, people are watching, they know and can identify, they can mess you up mentally anyways. Just injury to the back. And so – uh, thankfully, about 25, 30 days, I went through that season, and then it cleared up. Mm. And 25, 30 days later, man, I was so on top of the world. I was like, Lord, I thank God like I got out of that. That lasted all the way until the next Christmas. At Christmas next year, it kicked in again right after Christmas Eve gatherings at church and lasted for like 10 days. And what kicked in? What are we talking about? Anxiety. Anxiety. Yeah, didn't know so it at the you, time. the giant we're talking about is a giant of anxiety yeah giant of anxiety and at that time i was even confused and thinking it was a giant of depression but it took me a while to discern what was actually actually happening right correct and so it lasted about 10 days when i mean like intense acute anxiety and then it lifted and then it last uh we had a good season of about nine more months and september 24th uh is when the next date happened when i was taking my kids my wife and i we went to uh, uh jump park down in Kennesaw yeah. I walked out of the jump park on a Thursday night and the whole world came crashing down like dark clouds best way I know how to describe it is I'm looking at the car and these dark clouds come in and I had no idea but those dark clouds would not really really lift in my life for like it was at least seven months of like what I was about. Now, if God would have told me then about what I was going in through, I would have, there's right. no way I would have made it. Right. Uh, and, and I'm not saying he authored it. I know he used it, and I can speak to it a lot right. now. But um, And you're you're saying dark clouds of anxiety. Yeah, anxiety. So it was depression, so they go hand in hand. So the anxiety and depression go hand in hand, And but but you have to really get clear. you got to get around somebody with some authority and some knowledge, mm-hmm. expertise to help you, to, especially someone like me because my mind has to know. So the overwhelming anxiety and the cloud staying yeah. then led to the experience of depression. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm yes. And you. so long story with that journey, I mean you you were you were part and 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 you know, and part of my life, integral part of my life in that that story and that part of my life. My wife was unbelievably, unbelievably strong and gifted because she's dealt with anxiety in many seasons right. previous. Yeah. In which that. I could not help her the way she was about to help me. Mm. Uh, no way I'd help her. No way did I give any kind of help in the way she helped me. Uh, and she had to do that while keeping my kids every day. Right. And so we're not talking about, so I want you people to understand, I'm not talking about the giant of anxiety where it like messed me up every few hours right. or even like two times a day. I'm talking daylight to dark, right? right. There's very little, see, there's very little moments in there where it wasn't and when, and acute. A couple things like that. So when yeah. you say... It was consistent. Is the heart racing the whole time? Yeah. So it is. Yeah. So it did manifest in the the adrenal gland, so to speak, releasing and feeling like you know I, I didn't know this at the time, but the number one visitation of ERs in America is uh, panic attacks. Okay. It's what fills more ERs than anything else because panic attacks communicate to you that you're dying. You think you're dying when you're in a true panic attack. Right. Your heart feels like it's the I physical. Mean, experience feels like it seems dying. that you're interpreting i'm dying yes physically. i'm, I'm okay. dying right and so 
Uh, but in that whole process, I tried to do all the spiritual disciplines, and uh, I saw a therapist in that time. Therapist was huge for me. Wonderful man, late 80s, required me to slow down, be present, uh, all those type of activities. But I remember engaging Scripture and asking the Lord, and many times I I would feel that while I was praying, I didn't necessarily have the Lord answer in the way I desired. Um, there was definitely a sustaining, definitely a keeping, but it was so important in that season of my life that I didn't sabbatical. So people often ask me, Pastor Chad, did you take off from ministry? Uh, for me, because it was my one saving grace to get some area of release, I didn't. So I still preached, right? I still ministered to people. Now, obviously, I stepped back in a lot of my day-to-day activity. And in one thing to the listeners, though, yeah. but that decision that what was the wise thing to do or the best thing to help you through and for the congregation uh, was not made just by you, oh, no. right? Yeah. So there was others informing and saying, we think that the wise consensus thing is for you to continue yes. uh, as scheduled yeah, to so minister. Yeah, so I wouldn't be able to trust myself in right. that decision for yeah. sure. Um, and, and what was crazy, Pastor Chad, is many times where I'd be so anxious, I'd get up to minister God's Word, and it wouldn't just be Sundays, other times, and it was like I feel that would lift it. Didn't lift, didn't lift every time, but sometimes I'd feel it lift, and then I would come down off the preaching and teaching moment, and like the haze would come in again. And, and that... that feels demoralized oh my gosh there would be times i'd be standing on the front row and be literally about to lose it i remember one time going into the bathroom um and and i was dealing with so much stomach issues at the same time um i just remember man it was like a super low moment but i just remember trying to use the bathroom and i was just praying and like crying god's like lord if you just let me get through the, the gathering i'll just go check into the hospital and the only way I could realize I could get out of it is I was going to have to ask people to, like, put me under anesthesia. That would be the only way I could live, right? There's no way I could keep living because the anxiety was mm-hmm. so intense. I mean, it was, it was like—and um, what made it worse, Pastor Chad, is that my parents were integrally involved. My wife was super involved, you, other leaders in my life. But in their attempt to help, they did not know— often what to do and what I really needed what I really really needed now looking back on it is just somebody and people tried this but like just somebody with real sincere authority mm-hmm. look at me in the eyes and somehow get through to me and convince me that it would not be my reality because now I was reinterpreting all of scripture in light of that so right. for instance and you talked about that in the last episode so I would read that Paul pleaded multiple times to take this thorn away from my flesh. And so now what I started reinterpreting is that this would be my thorn. Right. This this suffering would be this intense my whole life. And then I just knew I couldn't do that. There's no way. I, right. And, and so, that's not God's will. Yeah. And right. so so part of that, Pastor Chad, that I wanted to say to people that are facing maybe that sense of acute uh, uh, anxiety is that what makes it, what, 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 what amplifies it uh-huh. is that in psychology we call it depersonalization because you live your whole life in one body and then next day you live in a different body different experience and so when you've lived in an identity for so long and then you're in a totally different body of your experience that is so disorienting it's depersonalizing right and so you're thinking like what is even going on in my twilight world and so long story short my parent my family made the decision to allow me to take medication for that season to try to alleviate get help me through the breakthrough moments mm-hmm. And which is fine. There's nothing wrong. Problem was the medication alone wasn't assisting. And for someone that historically had been a bit more stable, 
I, I, I probably wasn't in need of what I was being given. And so there and again, I learned a lot because I, my general practitioner was the one prescribing it. I'm not trying to beat up doctors today. Right. But did they know from the beginning confidently that the first m- medicine that they prescribed for you yeah. was the best for you? Did they know that? Oh, no. Okay. So they are based off of the knowledge they have or previous experience, supposing or hoping or thinking this one might be the best. Of course. So there is a level of experimentation. Oh, there is definitely okay. experimentation. I just wanted to make that clear to our listeners. Oh, yeah, and unfortunately, that's the sad part about and it And so now. tell us about Yeah, so you, the experimentation, that... Pastor Chad, I... I experimented on one uh, SSRI. It's just a, it's a, it's it's an antidepressant that okay. is a, it's a serotonin reuptake inhibitor, and so not a habit forming drug. This is not like a benzo drug right. where people are taking Xanax and and and, and Coumadin and these type of things or whatever. Uh, Clonopin, not Coumadin. That's a blood pressure medicine. But anyways, long story short, that wasn't working for a season. So going to a general practitioner rather than like a psychiatrist that actually knows the psych side, the psych meds. This guy's just trying to listen to what he, and then he's throwing out another one. And I never forget, I went to, um, I went to the doctor one day, and my mom and and sister, uh, Mer- Meredith were with me, and uh, they had to ask probing questions, right? And so they asked a question of, uh, "Did you ever have suicidal ideation?" And for those that may be listening, you don't know the difference suicidal and suicidal ideation. Is suicidal means that you're making some attempt, you've lost the will to live. Suicidal ideation is that you start getting preoccupied with the idea. It's not necessarily you've lost it, won it, but you just get this idea. And so I had to answer honestly, yes, but a lot of that was, again, being spurred. And so when you hear that as a doctor, unfortunately what they did is they prescribed me antipsychotic medication, okay, which is big time. Right. right? That's big medicines, right? And so I go on an antipsychotic medication, and when I go on the antipsychotic medication, um, it kind of levels me for a few days. It numbs you out, and then it wasn't working anymore, so they put me on an additional medication. In, in in addition to the other two. And then the lowest of low moments. So now you're deeply medicated. Now I'm deeply medicated. So now we're into January. And probably the lowest moment, it's not probably, the lowest moment, absolutely this side that I've had of living. Uh, I was traveling all the way to Buford, Georgia, to try to get help through a therapist, and we're on our way back. And unfortunately, I don't. there's so many things we could talk about in one episode. We had a lot of people, too, that were, in some sense, being really super spiritual to my wife in that season, mm-hmm. and that was that was making things worse. So it's like, I think this is an issue. I think this is what he's dealing with. And so we're getting all these kind of premonitions and visions, and, you know, I, I won't give you all of them, but right. just the multiplicity. And that's not what I needed mm-hmm. in someone in anxiety, right, in this giant. And so we're on our way back, and I felt such a gaping hole. I mean, just such a pain. It felt like just this open, gaping wound. And we were driving, and... um I had no intent of harming my wife or myself, but I became so overwhelmed. We were driving down one particular part of the road, and and I kind of swerved off to the side. And my wife had uh, perceived that as being, you know, you know, wrong intent. Yes, and okay. so she pulled, made me pull over, and got out and just started praying the spirit. We just stood on the side of the road, um, and um, but the medicine had thrown me off the mm-hmm. deep end. At that point, I couldn't sit still. Uh, I was just crying profusely. Right. And so that led me to have to go to the hospital that night. Um, and it's just a low moment because I didn't go to a psych ward, but I had to go to the psych side in order to get admittance. And so they're taking all of your stuff and putting you in a gown. And mm-hmm. I'm like, how in the world am I a pastor 
who's done nothing but try to serve Jesus, be faithful to Jesus, mm-hmm. get injured through a back injury, right, and lead me to this place, right? Now, one of the things, too, just because I was with you yeah. on the journey, is that alongside a lot of this, what you mentioned, but there was serious stomach issues that was happening, and also the medicines that were being prescribed was affecting. Yes. And then the pain of the stomach as well is also triggering further anxiety. Oh, yeah. Because you don't want to continue to experience ongoing stomach pain. Yes, yeah. yeah, it was a web. Yeah. It was it was a like you talked in the last episode, right. perfect storm. That's what happened. Right. And so in 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 those moments, um, thankfully, the next few days later, I got to the doctor, and we were in the doctor general practitioner again. And this is where the turning point happened. Okay. We're sitting in the doctor. The doctor's about to prescribe me another medication, and we had called multiple Christian psychiatrists to try to get in, and uh, we hadn't got a response. And the psychiatrist called while we're in the doctor okay. and said, I've got an appointment tomorrow. We told our doctor that, and the doctor said, I'm not doing anything with you. You go to the psychiatrist. And when I went to the psychiatrist that next day, you went. Mm-hmm. That was the start of someone listening to the story, having enough experience, hearing the backstory. And right. God used this woman. It's a Christian woman. Right. To be able to start the journey, it was God's intent. I mean, like manifest wisdom and grace mm-hmm. to begin the journey and say, oh, "You don't need any of these medications. We're pulling you off." Now she had to do it slowly. Right? There's no ability to take that stuff quickly. It'd be a major issue. Right? But that was the start, and and the Lord, in many other ways, there was the therapy. There's uh, disciplines put in my life. Right. Those such a running boy, God, I ran a lot in that season because action activity is the enemy of anxiety. Mm-hmm. So anxiety tells you to freeze. Activity releases the adrenaline, helps the brain, all that kind of stuff. But that was the giant man. That was the monster, monster giant. Um, you know, in that season. So and since then, dude, it's not been one of those things where you hear people deal with a giant and then they have to keep on dealing with lesser giants. Mm-hmm. There was there was a few historical moments where a few years right after it, mm-hmm. the same type of ye- same time of year, some of it would try right. to rear its ugly head. And I know it sounds so weird, but it probably makes sense to our listeners is that the experience that I had during that time frame would be re-triggered by certain moments or certain uh, temperatures in the air or things like I would things that just remind you of trees blowing in the fall season. Right. It was a season that was really bad. I used to always love the fall, so the subsequent falls i'd see trees blowing in october and it would like throw me off for a few days mm-hmm. but there was never this having to residually deal with it uh once that giant's head got cut off right but boy it was a it was a journey so well thank you for sharing yeah so on that yeah those listening are those that's dealt with significant anxiety yeah the giant of anxiety in life what's one of the main things you wish more people understood about it yeah. So our listeners, yeah. right? Um, what's one thing you wish more people understood about it? Yeah, I think I think it's getting better, but the destigmatization of just all of mental challenges, right? So mental emotional challenges is that, particularly in the church world, for let's say the last hundred years or whatever, uh, there's been a stigma around all mental health conversations, and mm-hmm. so people suffer in silence. You said something in the last episode that I, I think I'd really say I want people to know is that the strength of of that instability and giant those giants mm-hmm. is it, the strength of them is to make you think that you're the only one facing mm-hmm. them, 
And the the power of Christian community is that you see shared scars, right? And that that really helps slay that giant because now I'm able to look at somebody in the face and say, "No, legit, I have been there." Right? Not like I've been a little bit there, like I've been there, been there. And that is powerful, right? And so that's one of the things I wish listeners would hear, and I think we're doing a better job of, but continue is to just fight against the stigma that Christians can't have conversations about these things. Now, have you seen or heard or been in your experience, is some of the stigma, because it's always equated that you had to have done something to oh, yeah. create the anxiety? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I think it's always because we, we have this retribution, judgmental view, in, in, perce- in incorrect perception Like you of didn't intentionally hurt your back. And God wasn't intentionally trying to punish me. Right. I wasn't doing wrong, but boy, I felt that. Right. So at one season, and then that's that anxiety, because I was suffering so much, I started turning inward, and then I started trying to confess anything I could think of mm-hmm. to my wife. I right. mean, that's what I legit believed is that right. God's got this up that until I come clean with anything possible. I, yeah. I, I mean, because it, it threw me into a tailspin. So I'm trying to confess anything, and and in that season, Pastor Chad, I was suffering so much that that. There was no ability to, like, I lost anger for like almost eight months. I mean, I, I don't mean that exaggerating. Mm-hmm. Legit, I didn't have one feeling of anger, and that was weird too. Right, I was like suffering so much. There wasn't anger towards God. Even was an anger towards other. It was literally helplessness. It was, I'm fully dependent, leaning on you, Meredith. More like on, a passivity that you hadn't experienced before. Or? Um, it. I didn't feel passivity because I. I think in some sense that would probably help me more because I was trying to figure it out. Okay. I spent all the time researching, analyzing, trying to figure out, yeah. analyzing. So that made it to worse. figure the combination to get yourself out of it. Absolutely. It's yeah. all self-dependence in yeah. that sense. Like, well, if you're not going to do it, right. I'm doing it, right. um, which which made it worse. So I don't mean it in passivity. I just mean it in that I was helpless. I just help in the sense that I, I was so humiliated right. and humbled that I knew there is no aura or form of that I I can do this. Right. And and so tell me what to do or help me and I'm fine. It was like it, where God. God had for years I had said I have a strong mind. It was like the Lord taking a sawzall to my Achilles heels and putting me flat on my back to really communicate and use that as a communication tool that the very thing that you so prided yourself in strength is not just taken a little bit away from you. It's, I mean, fully, fully gone, right? Mm. It's just dissipated from my life. Uh, and that's what I mean, I think, by the helplessness I gotcha. uh, of leaning into my wife and trusting and, and, mm-hmm. and just being, uh, you talk about a good, good healthy marriage, and I don't, she would have called it a healthy marriage. But boy, I didn't go for an hour without having genuine face-to-face, eye-to-eye conversation with, with her. her. Right. right. I mean, I was... Because she was my saving grace and help. Right. Um, so I think that's the one thing I would just want is just the stigma to continue to die because I don't want people to. I hate seeing people suffer in silence. Think that they're the only one that's ever struggled with that, and that the church can't talk about it. Christians can't communicate about it. Right. Um, and Pastor Chad, I had people once I came through that after a few years, I started getting open about it because I'd felt some victory. People started reaching out to me. I never forget this. One one young lady who I didn't even know had dealt with it so bad. She was in our ministry two times ago. Mm-hmm. She had dealt with it really bad because of abuse from her past. And some people in my ministry, our ministry, that were her leaders, had really shamed her. Mm. 
and uh, and she had gone really bitter against the church and reached out to me and said, I don't I don't know why I never told you, but duh, 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 this person kept on saying, you just need to pray. You just need to ask God to take it from you, like not really being empathetic, right. not really seeking to understand. And so that was already liberating for her 10 plus years later to reach out to me and say, I had no idea you went through a season like this too. Wow. Um, and so that just further solidified for me, people, people need to know that it's that it's it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay not right. okay, right? You know, so so when you think about this giant, yeah, and you think about anxiety, right, and the fact that it's seeming to be so prevalent and increase in our day and age in people's experience, what do you think contributes to that? Why yeah. do you think anxiety? is on the rise in so many people's lives. Yeah. So have you thought about that? I have. So a couple of things. I mean, there's a lot of complexity to it. I think first and foremost is we live in the age of we live in the age of anxiety because we, especially in the Western world, are giving ourselves to image management. It's like the meaning okay. we're constantly having to medic I mean to to meticulously uh, manufacture an image that we produce or present to the world around us. Social media makes us okay. causes, or at least gives voice to this. And what happens over a period of time is that I, I begin to move into life's experiences as like a screenwriter with already a predictive outcome of what I want that moment to be. So I'm going in to do something with my kids, already ready to film it, already to tell the world what the result of that activity is. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, so now so if, I'm not even living it. So if the expectation's unmet, then it creates some anxiety. Yeah, yeah. And so we're just all into... Meaning the temptation of our age is that people live from um, an image they've created... A brand. ...rather than an identity they've received. From the Lord. And when you don't operate an, at an identity you've received, but an image you have to create... That produces all kinds of anxiety. Yeah, when you put that much weight on something outside of you, yeah, outside of your control, then anxiety is going to increase. Yeah, yeah, and then even physically, anxiety I mean, you can't increases. control the factors. You're going to have a perfect Instagram picture. Yeah, and dag on monsoon happens yeah. and rains. Yeah, right. Outside control. Outside sure. control. Yeah. Well, what and, else? What other physically? Reasons? Physically, the you know scientifically, we know now exposure to screens. Is affecting it's us. affecting it's a it's bringing cognitively out, oh my gosh which creates anxiety it's like the biggest human experiment we really don't know it's true we really don't know meaning on a it's globally now but long term like, study we don't know because it ain't know. been a long term long term long term right. social media is not long term exposure so what other things I think of like part of your story is the you know we used the word experimentation that you know I don't doubt necessarily the doctor's main intent I think. Hopefully the doctor's doing what he's doing, wanting to help people. Yeah. But there is a level of experimentation, and you experience with— Well, they tell you in the medical field, they tell you we have to experiment. Well, they're practicing medicine, yeah, right? And they tell you we have to experiment. They'll tell you to yeah. your face, when we start addressing uh, depression and anxiety, we have to experiment with these. And the, and the challenge of that is is most of, most of those drugs don't kick in anywhere from t day 10 to day 14. If you're in acute mode and you're, like, dying, right. feel like you're dying— you don't want to wait 10 days, but now you got to wait 10 and days. And then if it is the wrong one, 
Now then you, you got to be over. weaned off of that out of the system and then start another one. You want to talk about torture. That was the torture part for me. So physiologically, anxiety through medicine and, and things just not correlating with actual needs of the physiological body for the symptoms you're having could be a reason as yeah. well. And okay. then the dysfunction and the breakdown of society. Yeah. So you so got the family nucleus breaking down. All right? of that. All of that. Lack of so clear morality exposure, or standards. Exposure to such evil at a young age. The trauma that young people are experiencing seeing in their households access to so much knowledge outside of what we would ever be able to speak to or we're never yeah so so being being i mean folks we watched the shooter in nashville go into a school and it's already live video on our Mm. phones of what's happening before the event's already done wow now imagine 20 years ago turning on your phone and watching somebody massacre kids in an elementary school and then there is the human brain capable of moment by moment entertaining every one of those experiences right. and then not being able to change them. Right. You're powerless. Right. So there's all, so yeah, I think a lot of that concoction, so to speak, comes together. Any, to, anything else before we move on that you'd want to mention? Um, the, the last one I would think of is just, just part of the anxiety, I think, becomes amplified when it's disorienting because. If you could just get people to realize it's normal, and I mean that not 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 to try to normalize it, but it is normal as a human. I mean, Jesus, don't anxious worry about moments. Yes, these anxious moments. Okay, is that now it's a little disorienting when you do experience it because now you're thinking, oh, part of the anxiety is the fact that you're not familiar with the anxiety. So the fact that you're not familiar with the anxiety new stirs on more anxiety. Experience. And so what if you this? at least expected the anxiety, you just have the anxiety. You wouldn't have the anxiety about the anxiety. So and, let me ask you, in your experience, the more you thought about anxiety, did that increase the anxiety? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, preoccupied. Yeah, yeah so, that's, so the more you think about it, the more you experience And anxiety it is a liar. That's what anxiety does. It, right. it does false promises, right? That's all it's doing is it's lying to you. So and, and I had to tell myself through my journal and all that season, Craig, you do not have to believe everything you think. Well, you do that over a period of months, and now you're now you don't know if you should trust anything you think, mm-hmm. right? So then now I'm now I've, I've started on one end, and now I'm moving to the other end. And right. so just to find the symbiosis, just to find the balance, was a real was a real bear, real giant. Mm. So, so what was the turning point for you personally? Yeah, and your struggle with anxiety in that season. When you look back, what's some clear things that you've seen were really key, pivotal, uh, yeah. you know, breakthroughs so, for t- you. The turning point, I'd mention one of them was is meeting with a Christian psychiatrist with yeah. whom I love and, and is still expressed to great And being able to trust her experience. And be a believer. And a believer. She couldn't bring up Christ until I did, but then she gave it all yeah. to me. Yeah. And her diagnosis saying, no, we need to get these meds out of your system as yeah. quick as possible. Correct. They're doing more harm physiologically and creating more anxiety correct okay. and then um from there um just getting to a place because there was seasons now let me was, let me speak to that though, yeah because i had a check for some people that are maybe on medication right yeah. now in, in your experience and even as a pastor would would you encourage them before they just said you know what i'm going to stop taking the medication to ask god to witness if that's his will through a Christian psychiatrist yeah. or someone like that, right? Yeah, great, great, you great wouldn't want them I would on never, their own. I would never say to anyone outside of because medically you can't put yourself on those medications, is that you don't need to take yourself off those medications without partnership 
of medical gotcha. supervision. So one of the greatest prayers, let's say if you're a parent or a loved one of something on it, yeah. would be to pray that the right psychiatrist, physician, God would bring into the life so when I'm counseling, to display his wisdom. When right? I'm counseling people now, people uh-huh. don't realize why I say that though much, and they think I'm probably, they. I almost feel like they dismiss me. When really? people are still saying something like that, and I say to them, the two non-negotiables are you need a Christian psychiatrist if you're on any psych meds, and number two, you need a therapist, and you got to have both. They're always like, oh, yeah, I, I, I really like my psychiatrist, and then I come back around to it again, and I'm like, I don't think you heard what I'm saying. <laughs> you need to make sure that the psychiatrist you're seeing is right. somebody you trust, and I personally, because of my Christian worldview, want somebody that's a Christian. Right. Uh, and then I, it's really easy because... When there's so much of the anxious world that is spiraling around you, you're looking for deliverance anywhere possible, and it's very difficult to realize that some of the answers to get out of it are as simple and straightforward as they are. I got you. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so it's easy just to overlook it and just think. And again, that's not true for every story, but it was certainly true for my story. So that was one one key point. So what's some other, any others you Um, want to mention? Just continuing. uh, One of the practices you challenged me to do very early on, too, is is to read passages of Jesus um, speaking peace to the storm. So I'd read text in the gospel. And then personally, what I had to do is I had to lay flat. So I'd get flat on the floor. And then I'd close my eyes and I would let all the anxieties that I had. Uh, and they would come in words, and I'd picture them, and then what I'd do is envision Jesus just speaking peace to them, peace be still, and I'd just keep doing it until some of them would subside. Subside. Right, to give me some... Momentary relief. Yes, to give me space. Um, And then on days that were started getting better and better, um, like one of the worst days ever, uh, Pastor Chad, I hadn't slept all night, and it's like early morning, it's like 5 o'clock, and I get up and come downstairs, and as I'm walking down my stairs, the voice of the enemy clearly speaks to me, and I'm on medication at this time. So he conjures up images of of uh, self murder, mm. and uh, and that was the low. I mean, that was in the same season I told you earlier that same week, which scared just the heavenly daylights out of me. But the Lord, uh, the enemy whispered to me in that moment. He said, "I hope you've enjoyed your kids. You better get a good look at them because you won't ever see them when they're older." And so that's, and that sounds so crazy right. for me to say right now. Right, that slayed me, slayed me. Uh, and the enemy, I mean, we know demons attach themselves to psychological vulnerabilities. Yeah. Well, and so well. I was psychologically vulnerable, and and the demons are it out to kill. It seems so oh real. My gosh. So They're out to kill, still, and destroy. Right. I felt just, I'm going to have to borrow somebody else's eyes and borrow somebody else's faith, and y'all are going to have to, you're going to have to lay me down and, or whatever, stand me up, do something, but you're going to have to surround me and make sure that, I am continuing to move forward, you know? Mm-hmm. And so long story short, I did that experience. Um, and then God would, and many times I'd pray, 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 and not really necessarily get much deliverance. And then I'd read one scripture, and one scripture would come off the page. And, and and I mean, First Timothy was a huge one for me. Comfort, build hope for instant. And it would be like faith. Um, the one big thing God said to me in the midst of that, through a prophetic word, is that I'm, I'm enlarging your heart. It's what basically like one thing I could hear God say over mm-hmm. several months. And that was really powerful. God's given you a lion heart, and I went down the... So that enabled me to have spent a few days pursuing the Scripture, and so that gave me hope. That gave me this sense, of, oh, there's a future outside of this. Oh, mm-hmm. my gosh, God, you're going to use this. It's hard to believe that you're going to use this. Right. And so, yeah, it instilled a, a really deep sense of hope. And, um, you know, in, in that, that acute season when it was really, really intense. So, Well, anything else on that? 
Yeah. Last thing I, you know, I just put down, just thinking about this before, you know, in Jesus statements, you know, he says in, in, in the gospel, he says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow, verse 34, will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Um, I remember the Lord speaking to me, Pastor Trad, is that is that new troubles are always met with new mercies. And I've told people how much I love that verse. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. And I think, well, that's exactly what I was worried about is that <laughs> tomorrow, but guess what, will also be there tomorrow. So so that scripture was meant to encourage me at that season. It's like, don't worry about tomorrow because worry, tomorrow will worry about itself. I'm like, well, that's why I'm worried about tomorrow is because I don't have more worry tomorrow. And then it, it's like it clicked with me is that, oh, there's enough daily manna and daily bread for each day and provision. Mm-hmm. And that's where I had to start getting. And so I would truncate my life in, in minutes. And real acute anxiety would be like survive 10 minutes. That wasn't every day, but that was seasons. And then it was, oh, I'm going to have enough bread for today. And when I would start truncating, that makes sense, my life and know that there's enough grace for this, mm-hmm. then I started building some momentum. For you was the... Is the giant of anxiety your experience was that it was constantly trying to make you future oriented, like worry? Was it always like anxiety trying to push you with concerns of the future? It was not. So my anxiety, which is makes it a little unique, my my anxiety, the the real prevalent part of it was um <laughs> somebody who's listening is probably gonna understand this language. It might not make sense at first. It was more um existential anxiety it was existential dread my anxiety always centered around why things were what going what they were going okay yeah Uh, so it was more of an understanding anxiety yeah and then i would get into moments it wasn't like future no it wasn't so it wasn't so that was the thing so my wife would always speak to me in that season of trying to help me because hers was always medically related or something's going to happen in the future somebody's going to do this to me i never had any fear of that it was existential it was why are trees tall i know it sounds really crazy but in that season i'd get so overwhelmed with that why are there clouds what's the purpose of life if there's death so it was a lot of anxiety built on analytical wondering and questioning oh my god okay there's a web I got you. All analyzed. Yeah, there's no doubt. It's all analytical. And and that's where I became my own worst enemy. So that's one thing I would say to somebody struggling today right. is that when you're in seasons like that, you got enough fighting against you. We can't have you fighting against you. Like at some point you have to limit what you're trying to tackle mentally. Yeah. Yeah. Because and people try to tell me to do that, but it's just I'm hard to So it's sort of like don't make a major decision on an empty stomach that yeah. we tell people. Yeah. So in the sense of when you're experiencing anxiety, don't try to bring more into your plate yes. to yeah. figure out. Absolutely. And then I don't don't turn on yourself. So if you got all these enemies against you, you can't have you against you. And then you're like, man, why am I being anxious? And then you start internalizing. And so that's the first thing I always try to tell pastor ch- people, Pastor Chad, if they're fighting that giant of anxiety or instability, I always tell them, hey, number one, you're going to have to, I know it's hard, but you have to be gracious with yourself, and we can't let you fight you. All right. Right? And... Um, we got enough enemies against you. You can't be your own enemy. So, well, yeah. thank you for sharing. Absolutely. And praise God for his mercies Absolutely. and bringing you through. So, lastly, anybody watching, anything that specifically you want to communicate to them who's watching or listening to my podcast today that's currently dealing with anxiety? Absolutely. Anything you want to leave them with, lastly? Yeah. I would just say, first and foremost, you, you have to fight 
and find a community of people with which you can express what's going on in your life. It's just worth it. And I know there's a lot of people who do to tensions in their friendships or past or their marriage that they think, I can't share this with anybody. Mm-hmm. I have to hold on to this myself, but it is not an enemy. Just like the, the, the enemy of delusion or giant of delusion, you can't right. do it yourself. And Which is probably not the case. It's probably not the case that you got into this moment of anxiety just by yourself. Yeah. But what he's saying is you're most definitely not going to probably get out of it by yourself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's the thing I always just say, fight for that sense of community um, so that you don't feel like you're going at it alone. And then what God's done for me uh-huh. is that he's just given me overwhelming, overwhelming empathy for somebody who's battling it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what you talked about authoritatively, right. just, you know, with the authority of Christ. But that I'm sincerely is that it, I needed someone in that season of my life with deep embedded authority. Mm-hmm to speak authoritatively to me just to tell me it's not going to stay this way. Pastor Chad, I'm telling you, what would cut its head off? I'm telling you. Maybe I'm I'm just a simple guy, but what would cut its head off was if I could somehow really get down deep in my heart belief that it was going to end. Right. But I could not get that. Right. I couldn't get that. Yeah. I don't know what I could not get to that point is that everything fought against that reality. And so I just have great empathy for someone to tell you, just fight for the community. Uh, if you don't have it in a community, our hope is that you have it in a community of faith. If you don't have it in a community of faith, and just entrust God to give someone. Yeah, but they need to be someone qualified to help. Mm-hmm. So meaning it can't be a fool, right. biblically a fool. It's got to be somebody who tries to understand where you're coming from. They can't dismiss it. And then you have to, in some sense, entrust yourself to them and, and trust that God's going to lead them to tell you what to do and, mm-hmm. and do it, right? Let activity you can't sit back in passivity and and um, and um, you know I, I, it's just it's the epidemic of a generation, right? And so we need more. And if you're listening today and you have slayed that giant, please testify. Stop Share. robbing God of glory by being unwilling to talk about the fact that you've slayed it, right? Or been through it. Or, that's yeah. preserving your reputation and minimizing God's reputation. And that's not what the world needs, is that we need more people to openly speak about it. And not openly speak about it to give more space for it, in the sense of make it no, worse. No, but that the sufferings we experience that God's brought us through would alleviate others in their suffering. Yes, yes. And so many people feel afraid to speak about that, for mm-hmm. whatever. Reputation, stigma, Right. people can't know that about my past, whatever. Mm. But uh, it is powerful when... We have an army of people around us that can speak authoritatively to what we're experiencing. Amen. So Amen. God, God delivered me and and has given me great strength. And and more than that, saying get great strength, He's given me great empathy to minister to people who are who are struggling. Awesome. So well, thank you for sharing. Yeah, this is season two. We're dealing with slaying giants, and today we got to hear from Pastor Craig, his greatest giant he faced, and with God's mercy and help. The Lord slayed it and led him through the giant of anxiety. So, hey, there might be people you're thinking about right now uh, that this would be a blessing to, this episode or previous ones. Share it, like, follow if you haven't already. Remember, to lead, you must first be led. And this is Lead Talks with the Craigs. We'll see you in the next episode. God bless you all.